Well, good morning. I just realized I forgot my remote, but that's okay. I'm sure Michiko's on top of it and she can advance the slides for me. Um, I wanted to begin this morning just by saying that life isn't fair. Um, you probably already know that, but I'll just give you a couple examples. Uh, first, a story from my own life. Uh, it comes from just a, a few years before I started here at the church. Uh, it was the summer, so I got a summer job. Uh, and I really liked this summer job. It was a good one. Uh, it was something I had a lot of experience in, something that I had done a lot of training for. Um, and, and so because of that, I was able to secure this pretty good position as the leader of a team. Uh, had a great summer, things went really well, got good reviews, was told at the end of the summer, hey, there's a good chance we'll want you back next year. Um, so I was pretty excited about that. So the next summer comes around, I apply for the position again, but then I learned something. I learned that one of the children of the person that was doing the hiring had also applied for this position. <laughs> and so I didn't get the position. Despite the fact that I thought I was more qualified, um, I thought I had this, this good experience from last year that I had done really well, but it didn't matter. I didn't get the position. I can give you another example. This one's from sports. Shouldn't be a big surprise if you know me. Uh, I'm a big football fan. Uh, right now, my Stampeders are at the top of the league. And they have, they've been like that for a few years. I think you could say they've been the best team in the CFL for a few years now. But it hasn't always been so good. I can remember the early 2000s. It was a dark time if you were a Stampeders fan. We were routinely at the bottom of the standings, losing more often than we won. Um, going through coach after coach after coach, trying to find one that would bring about better results. It was a disaster. But what really made us the laughingstock of the league was the fact that our quarterback was there not based on his merit, but based on the fact that his dad was the owner of the team. And so the most important position on the team, and it has nothing to do with his talent, nothing to do with his skill, nothing to do with his work ethic, everything to do with who his dad is. And it was a disaster, a disaster for the team, a disaster for us as fans. And you know, I also think it was a disaster for this quarterback. Um, he actually seemed like he might have a bit of skill and a bit of talent. And if he had taken a bit of time to be the backup, to learn from the more experienced players and from his coaches, he might have been able to go somewhere. But instead, he got thrown into the fire, things didn't go well, and within a year or two, he, his career was over. That was it. So the point I'm trying to make this morning is this, that there are plenty of times in life when it seems like one person or one group is chosen above the others in a way that simply doesn't seem fair. I think there's a good chance that you've experienced this at some point in your own life. And there's a good chance it was something a lot more significant than just a summer job or a sports team. Maybe you got passed up on a promotion, despite being the most qualified person, because you weren't part of the in-group. Or maybe you were applying for permanent resident status or refugee status, and you had legitimate reasons for doing so, 
but some arbitrary rule prevents you um, from gaining that status that you need. Perhaps you're bullied. Perhaps you're left out of some in-group at school or in, at work or somewhere else. Whatever it is, the chances are at one time or another, you have found yourself on the outside looking in because you were born in the wrong place or to the wrong parents or because you had the wrong friends or because you liked the wrong things because for whatever arbitrary reason, you were not part of the chosen group. We're going to keep this in mind as we turn to our passage for, the, for this morning. It's going to be found in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, if you've got one of these Bibles, blue Bibles under the chairs, you'll find it on page 693. Matthew 15, beginning at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I don't know about you, but I think that's a really hard passage. A lot of questions come to mind right away. Um, three of them that come to mind right off the bat for me. The first, does this passage mean it's okay to call people dogs? Jesus did it. We're supposed to follow Jesus. Okay, but, but seriously, what does it mean to follow Jesus' example in this passage? It's not as obvious as something like Jesus showing compassion on someone. That's an easy application. This is, this is a lot more difficult. What does Jesus mean when he was sent only to Israel? Okay, this is what I was getting at at the beginning with my examples of being treated unfairly. Does God really choose one group of people above the others? Okay, and then third... At the end, Jesus actually almost seems like he changes his mind. Almost seems like this woman wins an argument with Jesus. Is that really what's happening? And if it is, what are the implications of this? Like I said, hard questions, difficult to answer, um, especially if we just look at this passage. And I'm not going to stand here and claim to know the whole answer to any of these questions. Um, so we're not going to solve everything this morning, but having said that, I think if we explore this a little bit, I think if we look at some context, uh, the context of a larger biblical story, we're going to be able to see that we can make at least some sense of the answers to these questions, 
and that we can do so in a way that is really valuable and that has a lot to say about how we can minister in the way of Jesus. So we'll dig in and we'll start with the second question. What does Jesus mean when he says he was sent only to Israel? Does God really choose one group of people above the others? To understand the answer to this question, we're going to have to go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Because it's there that God sets apart one man to become a chosen people, a chosen nation. This man's name was Abraham. God made Abraham a promise. We read about it in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God makes Abraham a promise, a promise that I will make you into a great nation, a promise that I will bless you, a promise that I will make your name great, that I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And then later in verse 7, he'll add to it, he'll say, to your offspring I will give this land. And it's not just any land, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, a prosperous land, a land full of resources. And so it appears that God is giving Abraham a position of privilege. He's choosing one group of people over and above the rest. But it's also important to realize that God isn't only making a promise to Abraham. He's also making a covenant with Abraham. We could talk about what a covenant is. There's a lot of different ways we could define that. But the definition I want to use this morning is this. A covenant is a formal relationship between two parties, so in this case Abraham and God, who agree to a set of promises, we saw those promises on the screen just a second ago, so that they can work together toward a common goal. So one more time, it's a formal relationship between two parties who agree to a set of promises so that they can work together toward a common goal. The parties are Abraham and God. The promises we've already seen. Abraham's going to be blessed. He's going to become a great nation. He's going to be given a land. But what is the goal? Well, it was in there. It was at the end of verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In fact, there's six different times in the book of Genesis that God lays out his promise to Abraham. And in each case, different things are emphasized. Sometimes it's all about the land. Sometimes it's all about Abraham's descendants. Sometimes it's all about the blessing that he's going to receive. But every single time, the goal remains the same. It's clear. The goal is so that all people on earth will be blessed. 
If we had more time this morning, we could trace a thread forward through the Old Testament to see what happens to this promise and to this covenant. God blesses Israel with the intention of them being a blessing to all nations. Unfortunately, most of the time, Israel fails to do this. They are blessed. God does bring them into the land. He does bless them with prosperity. But they forget the purpose. Instead of blessing others, they use their blessing to oppress others. The New Testament picks up this thread, this theme, and it adds a new dimension to this idea of a chosen people. The authors of the New Testament, they continue to insist that Israel has a special place as the chosen people of God. And even though they haven't always lived into this in the way that they're supposed to, God will bless all people through them. And then in the middle of this, we have today's story. Jesus, born into the chosen nation of Israel and sent by God to that chosen nation, working miracles in that nation, preaching the good news to that chosen nation. And then we have a Canaanite woman. Her daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession, but she is not part of the chosen people. Jesus' response to her is somewhat shocking to us as modern readers. Where is the compassion that Jesus has so freely and selflessly shown to those around him? Does it really stop as soon as he meets an outsider? And yet Jesus affirms the promise to Abraham. Israel is the chosen nation, and it is to them that Jesus was sent. His response is harsh. First, it's silence, ignoring the cries for help, refusing to even acknowledge them. And then, when it becomes too much for, her disciple, for his disciples to bear, Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to their dogs. But then again, we have the woman And she understands that there is more to this covenant between God and Israel. And so she answers in great humility, not disputing the chosen place of Israel as God's people. But she also reminds Jesus that the purpose of the covenant is so that all peoples will be blessed. She may not be part of the chosen Israel, but surely she's included in that all peoples. And so she answers, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then something incredible happens. Jesus accepts her correction. In fact, he praises her for her faith. And as Jesus heals the woman's daughter, we see a first taste of the promise to Israel resulting in its goal that all people on earth would be blessed. This is a thread that will continue through the New Testament. By the time we reach the end of the book of Matthew, 
Jesus is making it explicitly clear that his followers are to share the good news with all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, making disciples of all nations. It's the Great Commission. And then the New Testament writers, such as Paul, they continue to affirm Israel's chosen status while also declaring that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise because through him, all peoples on earth are blessed. So what does this mean? What does it mean for us today as we desire to minister in the way of Jesus? Well, as always, it means looking to the example of Jesus, but in this passage, I think it's going to be just as important to look at the example of the Canaanite woman. Notice first her humility. She acknowledges her low place in relationship to God. She acknowledges that she is an outsider, that she is not one of God's chosen people. We too need to recognize that we were outsiders, sinners in rebellion against God, and for most of us, Gentiles, excluded from God's chosen people. As part of his covenant to Abraham, God has invited us in, as he has blessed all peoples. And so we can now say that we are God's chosen people. We are children of God. Because of God's mercy, we are now part of the chosen people. And yet recognizing where we've come from, remembering our low place in relationship to God, this causes us to approach others with humility and to treat them with great mercy. We are not above anyone. No one is as other as we might think. Even as we are now insiders, part of the chosen group, accepted into God's family, we remember that the point of having this blessing is not for our own benefit, it's for the benefit of others. Abraham was blessed so that all people would be blessed, and we too are blessed so that others can be blessed. As Paul says in Romans 12, verse 3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And so the woman displays great humility and mercy, and to these characteristics, she also adds faith. And so we learn from her that we should have great faith in God and in his promises. So we follow the example of the Canaanite woman here. But we do also follow Jesus Following Jesus in this passage, well, I think it means that we listen and that we humbly accept correction. Back to the earlier question, did someone really win an argument with the all-knowing God? I'm still not going to pretend to have the whole answer here. Um, I, I would never want to say anything that would diminish the all-powerful, all-knowing, and unchangeable nature, nature of God. I think the Bible makes all those things very clear. But at the same time, I think it's apparent throughout the Gospels that in Jesus, God shows that he's also a very humble God. 
perhaps even humble enough to allow himself to be corrected by a Canaanite woman. The humility of Jesus leads him to show mercy. Mercy here as he heals the woman's daughter. Mercy as he feeds 5,000. Mercy as he heals the sick, as he drives out demons. Mercy as he forgives the sins of a world that has rebelled against him. And in the same way, God calls us to the kind of humility that will lead to mercy in the way that we treat others. Um, James already read this passage for us earlier this morning, but I'm going to read it again because I think it fits right in. Philippians chapter 2. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so as we follow the example of the Canaanite woman, and as we follow the example of Jesus, we need to be humble, and we need to allow that humility to lead us towards mercy. I am no better than anyone else. It is by the grace that God has shown me his mercy and invited me to minister by his side. And so this week, I need to ask myself, what are the situations in my life where I need to swallow my pride, to humble myself, and to show mercy? like to close this morning with a verse from the prophet Micah. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Would you pray with me? Our dear Heavenly Father, we've been looking at a passage this morning that, that is tough, that is hard, that I still don't claim to have fully understood. But God, at the same time, we have this testimony of Scripture that you've given us that shows us that you are a powerful powerful God, and yet you are humble, and yet you are loving, and yet you are full of mercy. And so God, we thank you first for the mercy that you've shown us, and then God, we ask that you would give us the grace, that you would give us the strength and the wisdom by your Spirit to show that same humility and mercy towards those around us. God, for each of us here this morning, I pray that you would show us the ways that this tangibly works in our lives. The specific situations, the specific people to whom we need to show humility and mercy. 
And may those flow from you, God, and from the strength that comes from your spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.